Okay, got it. Ready? <clears throat> You're listening to Paul Elmore. Paul Elmore. <laughs> What an elegant love story. How many were a little surprised at the end, like I was when I first watched it? Hooks you, doesn't it? It just, it gets you right in the good spot. Here's a man who, who truly is in love, okay? But it wasn't a love story between a man and a woman. It's a love story between a man and his community around the people that he's with. Somehow, somewhere, that has gotten lost for a lot of people. Relationships. Relationships have been, what's a nice word to put it? Um, Tainted, skewed, distorted in some way. I'm going to suggest that we are called to do two things. On this planet, while we have our 60, 70, 80 plus years or so, we're called to do just two things. What is that? Anyone know? Someone just confidently shout it out. Love God and love others. That is, according to scripture, what the two things that we have to worry about. That's the only two things we have to worry about. And yet somehow... If we look at the relationships in our lives, um, we have broken marriages. We have people who are cheating on each other. We have um, friendships that get skewed and and distorted. We have people who are angry at their neighbors and their roommates and everyone else. And the relationship component is the thing that actually can produce some of the greatest harm and hurt and pain in our lives. Would you agree? Something's gotten a little tweaked. And it would be nice to go back to Andre's perspective here, where he pursues people, where he has a true, true deep enough love to make a fool of himself. Can you imagine that? I'm going to go learn, I'm going to go tango with this big, tall, bald guy for two weeks and then plan on falling on my butt in front of everybody. He's willing to make a fool of himself out of love for his coworker. It's just an elegant story. When I found it, it's like, oh, man, this is just... Perfect. This is great. How about for the next eight weeks? Is that what we're here for? Six? Really? Oh, I just thought I got two weeks off. That would have been great. (laughs) Then, of course, we've got to make every session three hours to get it all packed in, but that's okay. Um, Eight weeks, I believe. Um, Let's figure out how to do some of this relationship stuff well. Would that be okay? And see if we can redeem some of the... Again, I think what is our core job while we are on this planet for the few years that we're here, okay? That's what we're going to be doing for the next eight weeks. But before we do that, can we pray real quick? Can we start off um, talking to the one who made us and give him some of this time? Father, I am humbled to be able to stand in front of people who are flawed and imperfect and desiring to improve themselves and to learn how to live life better. I am honored that we can spend just a few minutes learning how to glorify you better, how to be in better relationship with you and better relationship with each other. I, I ask that the places that people are at as they walk into the room today, that 
that you will meet each person and comfort them specifically, intentionally, directly where they are at. May your voice be heard in real and tangible ways. And in your name, amen. amen. <sighs> Goofy name for a class, isn't it? Hmm. Affinitas. And by the way, when you say it, you have to kind of do this with your hand. It's like affinitas, okay? There's a little bit of subtle, you know, this is an affinitas. This is, and you got to get the ta, ta, okay? You got to, I don't just get a sound. You got to say it right. Can I have that? Thank you. Because if you don't say it right, then it doesn't, doesn't really mean anything. You don't get it right. Why in the world did I name this class affinitas? When I was doing a little bit of research, how does this thing open? Um, when I was doing a little bit of research and deciding what I want to get a chance to talk to you guys about, um, I knew that, good Googly, okay, hold on a second, there we go. Um, I knew that I wanted to address something um, that, that's going to get fun. All right, let's do that again. Um, I wanted to address something that has a daily practical implication. And so it's like, okay, let's talk about relationships. For the last probably six months, I've actually been working on a project around um, relationships, especially codependency. And so instead of calling this codependency 101 or um, codependency recovery, um, I wanted to be a little bit broader than that. So we're going to talk about relationships. We're going to talk about how to do them well and why to do them. Um, if we're called to do two things, love God and love people, how do we do that best? What are the things that you are in relationship with? Give me a couple, um, who do you have relationships with? Give me kind of that broad scope. And if you read the flyer, you have some hints. Your Go children. ahead. What? Your children. Children and parents, yes. Very good relationship. Who else or what else? Coworkers. Coworkers, thank you. Spouse, Spouse. yes. That typically works good. What? <laughs> Self, yes. Yeah, it was yours, huh? He took yours. God. Anyone else? Huh? God, God yes. Peers. Absolutely. Peers, yes. Other church people. Go to church and have relationships with people? <laughs> That's weird. Siblings, yeah. More family stuff. Anyone else? I think we covered most of the big ones. Here. Roommates. Friends, roommates. Lots and lots and lots of people, right? Neighbors. Huh? Neighbors. Neighbors. You ignore them a lot? We, a lot of people just ignore them. Oh, not you personally. <laughs> I thought it was like confession time or something like that, okay? We're in a city, so we're Okay, in a that's okay to ignore people in the city. Got it. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not so sure. I thought I heard you say that. Um, affinitas means relationship in Latin. But it's, uh, it's ironic because it's actually the, key, the root word or the same component of what other word? An affinity, right? If you have an affinity for something, what does that mean? Lifetime. Huh? Lifetime. A lifetime, okay? Drawn to, commonality. Liking. Liking? Exactly. All of these things kind of play around in some of this. In fact, Let's see if we can give you some, something to look at here. Okay, let's make that big. There we go. Calvin and Hobbes, if you can't learn something from Calvin and Hobbes theologically, then what are we good for, right? 
My kids, by the way, um, I got the three book collection. Anyone know what that is? It's just a huge, giant books of Calvin and Hobbes, every one that they made. And I, um, I got them for a gift. They're mine. And I wanted them to be kept really, really clean, really, really pristine. I didn't want the bindings to get busted and everything. So I'm telling my kids, don't play with the books. Don't read them. And then my wife, who I'm supposed to be in good relationship with, gently pats me on the back and says, honey, that's what they're for. They're supposed to be read. And so I had to move from this position of I don't want the books ruined to I want them to be enjoyed for what they are. And so I took my hands off and said, go ahead. And my kids have probably read those books 100 times each. They just kind of permanently live on the dining room table and they get eaten over cereal and they're all sticky and gooey and pages are ripped out and the bindings are trashed. And what's even more fun is they can quote them. So we'll say something and be on a trip or something and I'll just pull a line out of Calvin and Hobbes. It's one of the proudest moments as a father is when my kids can quote Calvin and Hobbes to me. That and Bugs Bunny. So true friends are hard to come by. But we're going to be talking about affinitas here, okay? What does affinitas mean again? Relationship. And again, someone already beat me to the definition, oops, which is spontaneous or natural liking for something or someone, or I like that one even better, to be drawn towards. We are called to be drawn towards relationship. We're not called to be standoffish. We're not called to be afraid of them. We're not called to reject them. We're not called to ignore them or figure out how to tolerate them. We're supposed to like them and enjoy them. We're supposed to grow in them. We're supposed to hunger and crave after them. Now, don't raise your hand on this one, but would it be fair to say that that's not how a lot of the relationships work out in your life? You don't have that hunger for it. It's more of a, how do I make this work? How do I tolerate it? How do I just survive it? Okay? We're going to do this instead, how to be drawn towards it. Sound good? Good. Now, like I said, this class today, or the next two weeks, is going to be about two main topics. Codependency. Give me a working definition of what codependency is, please. Anyone have just a rough idea? Yes? Being defined by someone else. That's good. Huh. Okay, don't raise your hands. That's the one. Okay. <laughs> Nicely done. Thank you. Nicely done. Say it again real loud. Being defined by someone else. Anyone know where kind of the word codependency came from, kind of how it got its start and where it kind of built up from? Man, that's the smart row in the back. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, give me a little story. Can you do that of kind of... Yeah. You have someone who is dependent on a substance, the alcoholic, right? And then you have their spouse or family members who are co-dependents on that behavior. So for instance, you have, let's pick stereotypical kind of things, but this is by no means the, the master picture of everything. You have a husband who comes home and falls down drunk and passes out on the front lawn. The wife not wanting the husband to lose face or to be embarrassed by the neighbors driving to church the next morning, goes out, scoops him up, brings him in the house, cleans him off, and kind of helps him kind of save his reputation. She is now 
that behavior of having to take care of him is creating a dependence on his behavior. Does that make sense? And when that starts to happen, you start to identify yourself with the unhealthy behaviors of that dependent person. Now, it isn't just in uh, addicts and um, uh, compulsive behavior kind of things, um, but that's kind of where it got started in. If you are going to change any of those systems, you have to change the entire system. You can't just actually take care of the alcoholic, because when, when you do that, what tends to happen? What do you mean? You still got the same behaviors, you're just not drinking anymore. Okay. You mean trade addictions for something else? Okay, yeah, you trade addictions for something else. Um, think back to the family system here. If you have an alcoholic who is genuinely getting better, okay, he, he's addressing his behavior, he's, he's, he's getting his drinking under control and all of that, what happens to the spouse? Wow, everyone at once. <laughs> Someone try that again one at a time. She's not getting better. How come? Because she's not doing anything about her codependency. Yeah. And so what typically happens when she doesn't work on her stuff? They fight. She becomes resentful. She becomes resentful. They fight. What else? This is always fun to see. Divorce. Yeah, okay. No. That could, that actually can happen for sure. That's true, absolutely as well. What also tends to happen is because she needs him to be that dysfunctional person, she actually does things to start sabotaging his growth, right? And so it actually makes it harder for the addict or the dependent to actually get better. So you have to work on the codependency thing. Now, what was your definition for codependency again? Being defined by someone. Yes. That is the codependence thing. My definition of how I operate and how I function is, def is defined by this alcoholic person. Now, let's take it out of the area of, of um, dependence and let's move it into just kind of general relationship. How about a, um, a people pleaser? How does that play out? What is a people pleaser? Right. To the cost of yourself sometimes, right? Absolutely. Um, who else? Who else? Um, huh? A parent and a A little bit more about that. Well, sometimes a parent will put their kids first all the time, not taking care of themselves. Yep. Yep. Over the top of it, coddling the child as they get older. We're going to talk about this on the week that we talk about parenting and child and stuff, but I sit with a lot of couples who are newly married, and one of the biggest complaints I hear over and over and over again is that mom and dad or mom or dad won't let them actually grow up and be independent. They actually are still trying to pull them back to be dependent upon the parents because the parents don't have a job anymore, right? They, they have defined their role by what I do for the kids. So we'll talk about what that's supposed to look like and how that is a what the healthy picture of that's supposed to look like, right? Right, okay. So we're gonna talk a lot about codependency and um, how that plays out. Tempted to ask this question and it might backfire on me, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna skip it. Um, my definition of what I want to um, be heading towards, if we're gonna be talking about codependency is, I want to learn how to care appropriately. 
I still think that as human beings, we need to care for each other, right? Would you agree? How to do that in an appropriate manner so that you're not losing yourself and you're not um, swinging either way to the pendulum of, you know, totally selfishness <laughs> and totally selflessness, okay? That's what we're going to be, that's how we're going to define it there. Yes? Really? I'm shouting. Yes, that would be fine. I'm going to need three hands. The next thing that we're going to be talking about is self-esteem. How's that? <laughs> now it makes it feel like you're in trouble. Hello. Thanks for calling. Come in. Should I wait? For, I won't wait for the microphone. Oh. 50 things at once. May I take your order, please? Um, Self-esteem. How you view yourself. Can you hear me? Are we there? Check one, check two. All right. Um, how you view yourself and what type of relationship that you have with yourself. We're going to spend one whole week on this because I think it is that important. Um, but I think there is a huge misconception. Can we use that word safely here? Um, of how to define selfishness and selflessness. And here's kind of where I want to go with this for the entire series, okay? I believe you were created by God. And I believe that whatever God creates is good. Can you agree to that? Is there anyone who would have a problem with that? Not because of anything you have inherently within you. You didn't earn that. That's strictly and totally because of who God is. Because God is good, because God is perfect, he doesn't make crap. Would that be fair to say? Okay. Because of that, would it be okay to treat ourselves in the inherent value that we have? Would that be okay to do as well? If something is valuable and precious, it would be appropriate to treat it as valuable and precious, right? Yet I think the reality is, is many of us have a much easier time treating other people as valuable because we see them as valuable but we have a very difficult time treating ourselves appropriately and valuably. So I want to spend some time redefining that so that we can learn, again, that appropriate lines of selfishness and selflessness. And how to do that, I, I would argue, again, according to what Scripture says and according to what a good working model is in the world of relationships. Okay, So if we're going to do self-esteem... I'm going to define it as we can only love people to the capacity that we love ourselves. Does that make sense? I think it's, hmm, yeah, we're, I am going to do this one, okay? I don't think it's possible to say, I am going to treat you really, really nicely. I think you are valuable. I think that you are precious. I think that you are important. But me, I'm a piece of garbage. I truly, honestly believe that I have no worth, okay? If you're starting from that place, I actually don't think that you can love another person to the full capacity that you have been called to do. Now, that might be counterintuitive, or actually some people might disagree with that. I've heard lots of um, pastors and preachers and theologians and stuff disagree with that. We have to die to ourselves. We have to think of ourselves as uh, wretched sinners. We have to do all those things, okay? Okay. 
I'm walking on a little fragile ground here, and I want to, again, honor what Scripture says, but also honor the creation that God has made us to be. All right? That's the two main areas that we're going to be doing all summer here, all eight weeks. It's going to be bouncing around these two areas. Make sense? Any questions? All right, let's close in prayer. Where's my thing? Um, all right. So before we do some of that, here's where we're going week-wise so that you guys can have kind of a heads up so you can know which weeks you want to skip and which weeks you want to be here, okay? This week, week one, we're actually going to go through 10 rules of relationships. There are um, 10 foundational principles, rules, guidelines. There are more guidelines than rules. What's that from? Thank you. Um, we're going to go through 10 rules that I think apply to every relationship that you have, whether it's parenting, friends, neighbors, um, spouses, self, um, and I think God can be thrown in there too. We'll have to see. So it's that we're, that's what we're going to cover today. What time is it? 8.07. Oh, man. Okay, we're going to go really fast. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about um, family of origin and parenting stuff, okay, kids and parents relationship. Again, I think all of us can describe what bad relationships look like in that area. We're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to say, here's what a good, healthy relationship with parents could look like, should look like. This is what every one of you as children should have received. I want you to know what healthy looks like. I don't want to spend time on, on here's what all the symptoms of nasty parenting and nasty childhood experiences. Here's what it could look like so that you can be aiming for that and creating that for those who are parents, for those who have kids, for those who are kids and still have relationship with their parents. Okay. Week three, we're going to be talking about relationship with the self. Um, how that, how to have a good, healthy relationship with um, yourself, self-talk, those kinds of things. Week four, friends and community, okay, kind of the broader context of who we are around. Five is going to be um, romantic relationships, partners, spouses, dating, e-harmony, um, those things. Um, six, um, relationship with God, okay, what does a good, healthy relationship with your creator look like? Again, I find it kind of interesting that if we have a hard time relating to people that we can see and touch and hear and, and sit in a room next to each other, it's a lot harder to do that with someone you can't see, you can't audibly hear, you can't touch. And so we got to figure out how to, how to do that well and do the, you know, with each other well. So we're going to talk about the different dynamics that go along with some of that. Um, week seven, how to have a relationship with other hurting people, okay? Everyone in the room is flawed. I hope that's not new information to anyone here, okay? <laughs> everyone in the room is flawed. Everyone here has a story. Everyone has some pieces of pain. Sometimes when you get connected with other people in pain, your pain bounces off their pain and it ends up being a royal pain. So <laughs> how to have healthy relationships with people that are hurting, what are the proper boundaries are, um, how to actually help them um, through some of that. We'll talk about the difference between helping and, um, I can't believe I just forgot the word, enabling. enabling. Thank you. Would you like to 
take my notes because I can't remember them. All right. That's where we're going to be going with all of this. Sound all right? Okay. Oh, week eight. Last two years, what did we do on week eight? A recap, question and answer. So you can't ask any questions for the first seven weeks. You can ask questions on the eighth week, all right? So just write them down. That way it'll just make this go faster and get everything through it, all right? No, we're going to... Um, week eight is going to be how we kind of apply some of this to your guys' story. So um, in week eight, we will let you, um, if you want... You can anonymously write down, here's my situation, and I don't know what to do. And we can offer that up to the myriad of wise people in this room and let them give you another perspective, because sometimes we have to step away from our situation to understand it a little bit more accurately. Be fair to say? So, by the way... Um, I'm recording all of these weeks uh, so that they're going to be available. You can download them and listen to them if you've missed them, um, if you have friends who want to listen to them, or you want to just recap something. Those will be available probably two or three days after the Monday night, so like Wednesday, Thursday, somewhere in there. I will not record week eight, okay? Your stories are your stories. They stay in the room here. Um, you get to tell your own story, not me. So... Uh, that one won't be recorded, but weeks one through seven will be, and you can download those, and I'll give you some more information about all that later on. Sound all right? All right. Wow, that's just the introduction stuff, and we got to keep going through this. Okay. What's your name? Josh. Josh. Thanks for being here, Josh. My pleasure. How's that chair working for you? It's comfortable. I have all faith. It's going to hold me. Really? Got it. Did you come in towards the end of the crowd coming in, like late, and so it was the only chair left, or did you intentionally choose that chair? Intentionally chose it to be close to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that screws up my little thing going on here. Do you notice that your chair tends to be a little bit more kind of an island amongst the sea of, of population? Yeah, I kind of noticed that. Did you? How's that working for you? Perfect. How many else saw that chair and said, nope, not going for that chair? Anyone? Okay, there's one. Thank you very much. I wouldn't have taken the chair. I guarantee you that. I would have been somewhere in the back. Because that's a smart row, apparently, right? That's the good row. When I've done this before, that chair actually doesn't usually stay there. It usually gets drugged one way or the other, okay? It gets back, it tries, it doesn't like to be by itself, or it sits alone and empty all by itself because nobody wants to be all by themselves. We are built inherently, genetically, deep, deep down for relationship, and even, you know, the foot and a half in between people here feels a little distancing from everyone else, wouldn't you say? Oh, you're kind of on the fence. You're kind of one of those guys who can't commit, okay? <laughs> nice. Awesome. That whole relationship week, when we have that week going on, we'll be talking about those kinds of dynamics as well. So, you know. <laughs> All right. You can keep the chair there. You can, you can pick a side if you want. You can do whatever you want. But, again, I just want you to notice, again, how, how deeply wired that is. It's just how we are built, Okay. 
Now, before we get into the 10 rules of relationships, each week we're going to be doing something to help everyone kind of get prepped and in the right place to um, move into some of this. I know that I've had a long day. I know that I had a lot of stuff going on. I'm going to assume that many of you had the same thing. You come from a busy, crazy life. You have stories and dynamics and, and issues that you are having to work through. And so if we can, each week we're going to start off by trying to get into the right mode or the right um, attitude for learning and um, growth. Those who were here last year, do you remember that whole turning the chair, looking at each other thing? Do you hear groaning? I hear groaning through some of that, okay? We are not going to do that, okay? But we're going to do a little bit of that. We're going to help you learn how to get into the zone. Now, I was trying to figure out how to, re how to make this um, memorable. And so I said, if we kind of front load each week with um, a little PBR, would that be okay? <laughs> Professional bull riding, that's one thing. Or anyone else know what PBR might stand for? A little Paps Blue Ribbon, yeah. Except we're going to change it, and we're going to go... P is going to be, we're going to help you learn how to be present in the room, okay? We're going to help you learn what's going on with your body and then how to become receptive to some of these things, all right? So if you wouldn't mind, take your books, take your pins, take your pencils, take everything you got, put them on the floor, relax for a minute, okay? Just drop it all down. Put your hands on your knees, okay? Just put them right there. Very nice. And then when you're ready, all I want you to do is just close your eyes for a minute, okay? Don't worry about anyone else. We're not actually praying right now, okay? Instead, instead, I want you to imagine when you walked in that room, walked in the room tonight in the doorway that's kind of in the back corner here, that there's kind of this invisible barrier and that all of the problems that you are having to wrestle with, deal with, fix, try to overcome, they actually didn't walk into the room with you because in all reality, the next hour or so, we're not gonna be able to fix them. We, we just legitimately, literally can't fix any of those problems. And instead, I want you to learn how to just be here in the moment. So, while your hands are on your knees, I want you to take a deep breath in through your nose, out through your mouth, and imagine your body's like a balloon and it deflates just a little bit more Every time you take a deep breath, okay, and just picture your body kind of deflating like a balloon just a little bit more. You are here in the room together. There's nothing you have to fix right now. You get to be in this moment and see what happens. For those who have some sort of expectation of what it should be or what you're hoping it is, I want you to kind of just suspend those expectations and say, instead, I'm just going to kind of watch and observe and see what does happen. And I'm going to suspend any of those expectations. Take one more deep breath for me. And this time when you take it in and you let it out, I want you to pay attention to which part of your body you're most aware of. Is it your chest? Is it your stomach? Is it your head, your shoulders, your legs, your hands? And then whichever part of your body you are most aware of, I want you to see if you can identify what the feeling is. Is it tight? Is it tingly? Is it hurt? Does it ache? Does it sting? 
Just, again, observe it. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to change it. You don't have to do anything with it. Just notice it. And then see if you can identify what is the emotion that's connected to it. That tightness in your chest, what would it be? That ache in your stomach, what would it be? That's the weight. That's, the, that's your story. That's the situation you're in. Our feelings, our emotions are actually experienced physiologically. They're not just mental. And so if you can find that place in your body that is carrying some of that weight, I want you to take another deep breath. And this time when you take the breath in, I want you to see the breath going down to that part of your body where it is. And then when you exhale, it kind of just moves out and you have relaxation and a little bit of rest in that place. And then finally, I want you to take your hands and just turn them upward on your knee. It's really, really difficult to stay in a fairly closed off emotional place when your hands are up, opened up like that. It's actually just kind of a humble, receptive posture. I legitimately, truly believe, like I prayed when we first started off, that our God, your creator, knows your story and wants to speak to you. Now, what he speaks to me and what he speaks to you are probably going to be two different things. But I want you to be in a place where you are open and receptive to that. Just picture yourself being open and receptive. All right. When you're ready, keep your hands like that. And all I want you to do is just open your eyes. Let them all be there. Let your whole body still stay relaxed. Can you feel the weight in the room actually drop? Is anyone else kind of aware of that? We can change the entire atmosphere in the room together. Again, we are built for relationship. We can have a community experience. Okay? All right. You can put your hands anywhere you want. We're going to get started. We're going to do 10 rules of relationships. We are at 8.21. This is over at 9. Holy cow. All right, we're not going to get through all 10. You probably don't need all 10 anyway. We'll just stick with the first six, okay? You can figure out the other four on your own. All right. Yeah, there we go. All right, here we go. Ten rules. Rule number one as we come off the PBR. In a relationship, ladies and gentlemen, you cannot make anybody do anything. We're going to kind of run a little experiment here. Okay? Who should I pick on? You want to try? Yeah, Dash. All right, Dash. Let's, 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 this is Dash, stand up, please. Thanks for coming. And um, um, let's see. A guy. Who's a guy who would really like to be picked on? Um, wonderful. Come on up. Give me your name again. Alex. Alex, Alex come on up. 
Dash, come on up. Okay. You are not allowed to physically touch me in any way. All right? We'll try. You have one simple task. Make me stand up. You can't, you can't touch me in any way. That's again, physically you can't touch me. What about the chair? That's not you. That's not All right, we'll come back to that in a second. Can't touch me or the chair, okay? No way. Anything else? There's no way we can do it. Would you please get up? All right, where, you get to share the microphone. Would you please get up? No. <laughs> that was easy. That was a good try. Yeah. Come on, Alex. Best shot. Um, she'll pay you five bucks if you get up. <laughs> awesome. Nope. Not worth five bucks to me. Also, he can't make me do that. See, there we go. We're already learning. This is great. <laughs> nice. Okay. Anyone else have an idea? Take the iPad as a hostage. Take the iPad as a hostage. That that could work. Yeah. Oh, so you're gonna entice me over there? Is that what's going on? Ice coffee in the back. Sandwiches. Snake, no. <laughs> Start a fire. Okay, light the room on fire. Oh, see. That's a great question. Wonderfully comfortable chair. I'm content. Okay. Anyone else have a good idea? See that? That could make it a little, you know, uncomfortable, but I could bear it out. Okay. Yep. There's a man who understands how this works, okay? Um, my wife's not here. And my daughter doesn't count, okay? Oh, this is being Oh, man. All right. Nope, not going to do it for my wife. Can anyone else just have an idea? You're 86. I'm out. I'm fired. Got it. Yeah. I Kind of bet, so kind of the reverse psychology bit. Yeah, you really don't, those, those green beans are nasty. You don't want to eat green beans, they're terrible. Got it. All right, thank you very much. Okay, very, now, Alex, he could have what? I'm surprised no one did this. He could have gotten in my face, right? I mean, he could have yelled at me. He could have scolded me. He could have called me names. He could, what are some of the tactics you guys tried to get me to move? Okay, one at a time again. What was it here? Bribery. bribery. That is a wonderful tactic that people use all the time, right? I'm going to bribe you. If you do this, you can have a little bit of, you know, nummies. That would be good, okay? <laughs> you decide what nummies are, okay? You insert your own thing there. Creepy. All right, what else did we try? Let's get off of that one real fast. What else? Manipulation, yes, trying to manipulate. Who tried to manipulate me? Everyone did, yes, okay. We had the guilt tactic back here, okay. Do it for your wife, that's really good. Trying to guilt me into it. What else? Bribery, yep, okay. And again, everyone has a price, right? So if we just keep ratcheting up that dollar amount, you never know, you might hit it. What was it? Intimidation. Intimidation. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Was anyone intimidating me? I thought about it. You thought about it. Yeah, it's not the right room to say it. But <laughs> you your daughter. I appreciate that, daughter. Jimmy. Yeah, but you could intimidate me, right? You had one more? Trickery. Trickery. Just yeah. Yeah, we're going to just, you know, pull the wool over your eyes and see if we can totally get you that. All of these tactics are used over and over and over and over and over again. Um, it's the person I worked with who comes and tells me, actually it's the couple I sit with, um, the wife literally gets up in the face of the husband and just screams at him about how unloving and how unkind he is and how he doesn't pursue her and he doesn't you know, woo her. Do you see the problem with that tactic? <laughs> lots and lots and lots and lots of um, desire within our heart to make people do stuff. And we, all of us resorted to these things. Again, if we go back to the parenting week, parents all the time bribe their kids, right? One, two, I'll give you a cookie if you finally get in the grocery cart and we can just get out of here. Two and a half. And they never hit three, right? It's always just a cookie or a toy or something like that. Trying to make people do things. The bad news about relationships, and this is what I want you to remember straight out of the gate here. You do not have the power to make anybody do anything. And as soon as you start to come to that understanding, your world gets much easier. It truly does. And, that, and again, we're going to see how it applies to, to marriages and friendships and parenting and all those other things. But um, we can't make anyone do anything. By the way, the way the sequence kind of works is first we try to go for the um, emotional um, uh, pulls to get people to do something. So it's the pouting and it's the, oh, please. And, you know, it's kind of that emotional piece. Then we usually go towards, we ramp it up in power. So now we get towards the aggressive, kind of the angry, until eventually, what is the epitome? What's the rule I put over here? Can't touch me, right? Unfortunately, that's not where it stops for a lot of people. A lot of people actually believe, I can make you do what I think you should do, and I'm going to block your way. You can't get out of this room. You're going to stay here, and you're going to talk to me, and you're going to talk to me right now until we get this fixed and solved, and, you know, nice little push, right, physically overpowering people. That's just an attempt to control again. And yeah, we could talk a little bit more about... Um, it's not Bonhoeffer, it's, um, I always forget his name. Oh. Give me a second. Nope, it's not coming. Um, he was um, in a um, uh, Nazi concentration camp, and he's the, hmm? Frankel, thank you. Frankel, who says, um, they can take away all of my freedom. Again, they physically are making him do things he doesn't want to do, living in a place he doesn't want to live in, endure situations and, and um, uh, atmospheres that are just not good. And he says, they can take away all of that, but they still cannot change my attitude. I have pure control over that. That is refreshing to know. That is just exciting to remember. So even if someone is trying to overpower you or change you or make you do something, we still have power. We still have choice. Okay? All right. Anything else about that one? How do, you, how do you make people do something? Okay, some of you tried it, by the way. There was some good stuff in there. How do you make someone do something? Uh, 
there you go, that's called asking. <laughs> Would you please do this? And again, you kind of went for that one straight out of the gate. Well done. Um, what else can you do to get someone to do something? Offering consequences. Offering consequences. Give me an example. All right, that's pretty good. Because you sometimes need people to do something. Yeah, that's just how it has to work. Um, yeah. Lead by example. Lead by example, absolutely. Boy, that works really good. That works really good. Do you guys remember the story about me picking weeds on a Saturday morning with my boys? You're gonna get, you're gonna, I'm recycling some stories, so if you've been here a couple <laughs> years, you're gonna hear a couple duplicates. Um, Saturday morning, a couple years back, early morning, like 6.30, I was going, I can't wait to get up. It was a beautiful, sunny, you know, weekend. Um, I couldn't sleep anymore. It's like, it's cool in the morning. I'm going to put in my headphones. And I'm going to go out and go to the hillside. I'm just going to start pulling some weeds and just enjoy a nice, quiet morning. I got four kids at home. Does that help you understand that? So four kids at home. So I go out there, and about 15 minutes into it, so it's about 6.45 in the morning, my youngest son comes out and he says, Dad, what are you doing? And I take out the earphone and say, you know, I'm, I'm picking some weeds. I'm just kind of enjoying this. And my son goes, can I help? And I had a moment there to decide. It's like, am I going to do this or not? All right, fine. Take out the earphones, put down the, put down the iPod. Son, the gloves are in the garage. Go get some gloves. And so he starts pulling weeds with me. Ten minutes later, son number two comes out. What are you guys doing? We're pulling weeds. Can I help? <laughs> Gloves are in the garage. Ten minutes later, son number three comes out. My daughter doesn't come out at all, by the way. But um, <laughs> three boys come out, and they all go, can I help? So here it is, about 7, 7.15, Saturday morning in the middle of summer. If I would have told my boys, boys, two days from now on Saturday, you have to get up at 6.45 and go out and pull weeds. What they'd be doing, what you're doing. I don't think so, Dad. But instead, when you do something that is right and you model it, you invite people just by, by doing what is good. It's, our family is trying to get healthy, and so my wife and I are doing some exercise stuff in the evenings and just you know moving around. And first it was just her and I doing it. Then our middle son, he comes and joins us. And last night when we're working out, Everybody, except my daughter. Um, <laughs> there's a theme here. I didn't recognize that. Okay, um, everyone is now working out again, and we didn't tell them you have to do this. It just invited them in. When you do the right thing, when you become the person that you want to be, it actually prompts people to make some of those changes. You don't have to force them. Now it's very counterintuitive. I got another really good video clip for that thing, but I'm not going to show it to you. All right. That is the first one. You cannot make anybody do anything. Questions or thoughts about any of that? Did you do that because you wanted them to be prompt? No, I wanted to just do weeding. No, but that's the affinity. You created that. And you invited them in and they were drawn. I did. Um, I didn't understand that that's how it worked, and I was a parent for a long time until that morning. And I, I kind of woke up, and it's like, Oh, 
I should have been doing this for a lot longer. My daughter's the oldest. She might have been actually engaging and helping out if I would have started earlier. Um, I, I learned that late, and I wish I would have learned it earlier. It does. It does. Um, and again, that'll be another thing a little bit later in the couple weeks on, but, um, well, no, it's going to be the second one here, okay? Um, the second one is, come on back, how you do things is just as important as what you do, all right? What do I mean by that? Anyone got an idea? Does our actions speak louder than words? Yes, they do. Not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Yes. Any other pithy sayings we can just tack <laughs> onto this? Those are great. Okay, we're doing good. Huh? Presentation. Presentation. What does that mean? Uh, just, just how you go about what you're trying to convey, like how you present it. Okay. I think of it this way. Um, let's take the stereotypical family vacation in the old school um, station wagon, right? Who's driving? Dad. Who's in the passenger seat? Two and a half kids in the back with the dog, right? What is dad's attitude as they go from here to the coast? Conquer fastest as possible, right? Okay. That's how it's supposed to be done because dad's in this imaginary race to beat. We're not sure who it is, okay? But that's how it is. So it is you hit the gas, you go as fast as possible. Kids, we're not stopping for potty breaks. No, we're not going to go look at this. No, we're not going to get ice cream. Sit down, shut up. We got to get there. So by the time you get to the coast, everyone's in what mood? And it's a good family vacation, right? That's how it's supposed to start off. A father who understands how you do things is just as important as what you do. So if the what is, we got to get from here to Cannon Beach, how you get there can set the, set the tone for the entire day. So if the dad says, my goal is to get from point A to point B, but it's also to create an atmosphere of peace and relaxation and comfort and, and connection and all of that, then that's the dad who says, I understand that I got three small kids in the back of the, oh, two and a half small kids in the back of the car, and someone's going to have to go to the bathroom. So, okay, there's a stop here, and there's a stop here, and I'm already planning on stopping. They're not even going to have to ask, because I don't want them to have to be crossing their legs and whining the whole way, because that's just not very fun for them. Except for the half a kid. <laughs> He's got issues all other sorts of ways. So the dad who's aware of that, and the dad who says, not only do am I going to you know, plan for restroom breaks, but there's also a great little spot to get beef jerky on the way. And we're going to stop, we're going to get some good beef jerky, and you know, I'm going to spend a couple extra dollars, because dad's other attitude is what? Don't spend any money, don't have any fun, okay? <laughs> Got to save the money, don't ask for anything. He says, no, let's, let's make this fun. And so how he takes the trip, he understands is just as important as what he does. And so by the time you get to the coast, Everyone's mood is what? Yeah, yeah. I actually, I actually say that this is one of the, this is what it means to be a spiritual person. Um, a person who is focused on the intangibles, not just what you're doing, uh, building a box or, you know, making widgets, but he's focused on how he does it. 
That is a person who has a strong spiritual maturity. Did you know that that's what church is all about, by the way? A church doesn't tell you what to do. It doesn't say you should be a lawyer, you should be a doctor, you should be a plumber, you should be a computer technician. It, church doesn't tell you that. What it does say is, if you're going to be any of those things, this is how you should do it. Do it with integrity. Do it with love. Do it with kindness. Do it with compassion. Do it with peace. That's what, that's what scripture is about. That's what church is about. That's what it's focused on. Imagine what would change if you pay attention to how you do things, not just what you do. So in a relationship, to have really good, strong, solid relationship, pay attention to this. So when you're ticked off at your spouse, you can, the what is what, what would the what be? If I'm really mad at them. Yelling, yelling is the how. What are you trying to accomplish? Trying to get them to do something, that's rule one, which is, yeah, that's already a bad idea right there, but say it again? Communication. Communication talk, exactly. But the husband or the wife who isn't aware of these things, isn't focused on the how, again, that's the wife who's up in the husband's face screaming at him to love her more. <laughs> she kind of forgot this piece right here. So you can be mad at your spouse. You can be mad at your roommates. How you do that? How do you convey your upsetness to them? How do you do that? Yes? You address your feelings. You don't say you do this and that. Yeah, she says address your feelings. You don't talk about them and what they've done. That's good. That's actually really smart. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. All right. Um, number three. <sighs> Be willing to state your thoughts and feelings kindly and directly. If you do this in a relationship, lots of things change. Lots of things change. Um, I grew up in Southern California. I'm not sure I can say that in a room full of Oregonians, but I grew up in Southern California, and I actually went to Disneyland a lot growing up, which is you know, just one of those things. If my wife and I went back to Disneyland, and I... And I said, honey, I want to do three rides while I'm here. I want to do Space Mountain, I want to do Splash Mountain, and I want to do Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, okay? Whatever the, whatever the three are. Anything other than that, I don't care. We'll do what you want to do, but I just want to make sure we get those three things. So we walk into Main Street, and I say, well, what do you want to do? And her answer is, you know what, honey, we'll do whatever you want. All right, great, let's go to Splash Mountain. We go, we hit that one. Get off Splash Mountain. All right, honey, what do you want to do? And she says, I don't know. You know, whatever you want to do is fine. All right, Mr. Toad's wild ride. Here we go. No, after that one, honey, what do you want to do? She says, you know, I, I'm not going to, I don't want to be selfish. Whatever you want to do, dear. All right, fine. Let's do Space Mountain or whatever I said there. Okay, great. We get done. Space Mountain's done. All right, honey, what do you want to do? And her answer is, I don't care. Whatever you want to do, darling. Okay, well, let's do this. We go do something else. What do you want to do? I, I don't know. How do you think my experience is going to be at Disneyland? Frustrate. Great. <laughs> what, what week is that whole partner thing going on? Um, for some people, that's actually true. Next season, we should talk about narcissism and you know and how that works out. Okay, but 
Um, for the most of us, okay, do you feel the weight of having to carry all that decision? Do you hear the, feel the weight of just, this person isn't sharing in the burden of, of, of the relationship. Now, she might, out of pure motivation, trying to be selfless and say, darling, you know, your feelings are more important than mine, and I, and I want to just love you and do all the... Okay, that intention is nice, but it doesn't work that way. It actually puts tons and tons and tons of pressure on me. If she were to apply this and say she was willing to state what her thoughts and feelings are, okay, or desires, I would like to do this, this, and this, and she says it kindly and directly. She doesn't beat around the book and uh, around the book, around the bush. It's a strange book. Um, she doesn't beat around the bush, and she goes, you know. Oh, I don't care what we do, sort of want to do this, but you know, we don't have to do that at all. And they kind of do the, what would that kind of be called? Anyone have? Codependence, one word, huh? Passive-aggressive. Passive-aggressive. Okay, that's a fun thing right there. We could talk, <laughs> we should spend a whole summer on just passive-aggressive. That should be really interesting. <sighs> Manipulation at its finest. Um, it is really, really, really nice to just tell people, I like this, and I would like to have this. Um, I used to play a game. I'm trying to think who's going to be listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll go for it. Um, some colleagues I used to work with, we'd jump in the car at lunchtime, be four or five of us in the car, and we would do the... Um, traditional, where do you want to go for lunch game? Okay, so the driver starts out. He says, I don't care wherever you want to go. Passenger says, you know, I don't care wherever you want to go. The next person says, I don't care wherever you want to go. And I used to do that a lot, okay? I used to go, I don't want to impose, I don't want to, I don't want to you know, put any pressure on anybody, so I'm going to just play that game really, really nicely as well. You guys decide whatever you decide is good by me. I started changing that as I started working on some of the codependency stuff in my life. That's actually how I know a lot of this is because I have lived it for many, many, many years and I know how tiring it gets. And so when I started working on this, I said, hold on a second, what do I actually want? Okay, what are my feelings? What am I hungry for? What do I think I want? So I would go, you know, I think I'd like, you know, Mexican right now. There's a good restaurant right around the corner. Nine times out of ten, someone would go, great, someone just made the decision, let's go, and I get to go where I like, okay, that's back to the narcissism thing, that works really good by then, okay, um, no, it's not narcissistic, it's just someone making a decision, it's okay to put your opinion and your ideas and your thoughts and feelings out there, again, as long as you do it, what's the last half of this? Kindly and directly, now you can do it like a jerk and say, we are going to do this, shut up, let's go, and that, again... <laughs> Doesn't work real well, but yes. But what if it really honestly doesn't matter? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like if you have, yeah. <laughs> you have an option and you're like, you know, whatever you want to do. And honestly, truthfully, it does not matter what. How do you deal with that? Um, I have no idea if this is your story or not, but. It's been my experience as I've worked with lots of people who actually have that um, dilemma going on in their life. They don't know what they want in many areas of their life. They have actually lost touch with their own feelings because they have had to live so long deferring and thinking about someone else. It's actually a skill to be able to recognize and know what's going on within you. 
and you can actually grow that and develop that to where you are able to say at any point in your, in your life right now, how do I feel right now? You know, I'm content right now. I'm a little hungry. Um, I got a little bit of a caffeine buzz going on. Um, and, and, you're, and you become in tune with what's going on with yourself. Yep. A, a meeting. A meeting. What meeting do you want to go to? This meeting or this meeting? Well, I've never been to either one of them, so I don't, it doesn't matter. Yep. You pick. <laughs> what was that last phrase? You pick. Yeah. Okay. I've never been to either one of them. Yep. So yep. How, how, can I, how can I choose which one I want to go to if I've never been there? Back to that open posture again. If you can walk into either one of those meetings and just saying, I'm willing to experience what happens when I walk in. And that's And you I might mean. end up good. What are the other options for tonight? Could you have been somewhere else in the room building? That could have been interesting because that's probably better, okay? Um, but that's where it's actually not a bad thing. You could just say, okay, if I'm open and I can do this one or this one, then you just kind of you know, flip a coin and go for it, and it's not bad. Now, rule of thumb as well. This isn't actually in the notes, but I'll take a little three-second detour here. Decisions between good things and bad things typically are really easy to make, right? What should you choose? The good things, right? Decisions between something good and something good, oh, those are hard because you have to give up something good. And a lot of people hate doing that, right? Because they're going, oh, yeah, I might miss out on this. And so they actually get stuck on the fence. Like, you know, this poor guy up here. Um, and they just can't move. and They get frozen with that kind of analysis paralysis thing, all right? Um, so... I think that's actually a learned skill, and I don't think that we are ever static. I think that, you know, there's not a whole lot of draw one way or the other, but I don't think that we are ever static. We're always moving in one direction or another. Even if it is easy as that room has air conditioning and this room doesn't, I know what meeting I'm going to, okay? <laughs> Again, where's that building? We gotta get in that room next time. All right, sorry for yelling there. Number four. Let others experience the consequences of their choices. <laughs> there was a groan from this half of the room. What's that groan about? Anyone want to put words to that? It's, it's the parents? How come? Why is that hard? All right. So if we're packing parenting, yeah, that's fair enough. Don't want to see them suffer. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, parenting. Don't want to see them suffer. Yeah. That stinks. Yeah. Let's take it out of the parenting-child relationship, and let's put it into friendship. Okay? Someone makes a dumb choice. What are we supposed to do? Do we save them? Do we keep them from their consequence? Do we bail them out? Some people are habitual bailers. They, they can't sit in the emotional pain of watching someone else be uncomfortable. And so they bail them out of their consequences. And again, they do it in the name of this other person, but the reality is they're not, they're not actually thinking about the other person. They're thinking about their own emotional discomfort with that. Isn't that amazing? And so I'm going to help you to make me feel better. What's that called? Yes, codependency, that's true. Um, I'm thinking of the word manipulation. I'm going to change in you. I'm going to do something to you to make me feel better. I'm going I'm to 
objectify you, if you want to even think about that. I'm going to manipulate you. And it's not actually done out of pure selfless motives. It's done out of, again, i got to regulate myself. i got to prevent my feelings and my emotions from being too painful. That's hard. To avoid. Yeah. Perpetual avoiders. Not good. Not good. Um, questions at all about that one? What if their negative consequences negatively affect you? What if their negative consequences negatively affect you? I didn't think about that one, I so I can't I answer it. Job, yeah. Anyone want to try? Again, that, that is a smart row back there. Look at that. We got just hands shooting up all over the place. Yes. <laughs> That's a good idea. Anyone else want to give it a shot? Yeah. I think just the idea of developing boundaries for yourself. Saying if you continue this behavior, I can no longer continue in relationship with you. You should have my notes too, because that's good. Okay, that's good. That's a hard thing to do. And that is, again, that's pretty close dead on. Um, it's difficult to put that boundary up, and if we continue to be in relationship with someone who is continuing to make poor choices that habitually damage or hurt us, it's not that person's fault that we continue to get hurt, it's ours. Um, I always think about it this way, it's the, it's the person who sits right next to the copy machine, their cubicle's right there, and every time the one guy comes to the copy machine, bumps into the shoulder of, of whoever's sitting there. And by the end of, you know, the first couple of weeks, they got this huge bruise. The person who's getting bumped, what could they do? Oh. Move. Move. Absolutely. There's a step before that, though. Again, everyone's yelling. This is great. I love this. What was it? They can state their thoughts and feelings kindly and directly. There you go. <laughs> this is the smartest group at church. I got to tell you that right here. They can. Hey, you. <laughs> Caught myself. Um, you're bumping into me and it hurts. Stop it, please. And if the person says, oh, I'm really, really sorry. I didn't mean to do that. And the next time they come by, wham. What do you do? Wear armor. Wear armor. <laughs> wham them back. Or, again, you guys shut it out. It's now your responsibility to move. Now, again, that's not always convenient. That's not always easy. But it is healthy. Does that make sense? <laughs> you guys are going to manipulate all these rules to make it work out every way you can. That's going to be great. Oh, man, fantastic. All right, what time have we got here? 8.54, and what rule are we on? Four. We got halfway through them. Um, all right. Hey, I'm getting faster, though, before the thing turns off. All right, number five coming up is... Do not work harder than the other person. <sighs> this is the helping versus enabling thing. We're going to talk about this a little bit more in depth, but can anyone give me a good working definition of um, the difference between helping and enabling? No, you're smart enough. Um, <laughs> yes. 
Don't do for the other person what they can do for themselves. Perfect. That is which one? Helping or enabling? Say that again then. Don't do for the other person what they can do for themselves. Okay. Let's put it in a different word. If you do something for someone that they can do for themselves, that is called? Very good. All right. Helping is when you do something for something, something for someone that they cannot do for themselves. Right? That's a good thing to do. That's, that's appropriate. That's necessary. That's healthy. But if you are doing something for them that they can or should be doing for themselves, then you are not helping them grow. It's the um, guy sitting on the uh, weight bench here, and he's been working out for three years, and he's um, doing some bench presses, and he's doing about 15 pounds, because every time he starts to push the bar up, and he goes, uh, you're spotting him, you go, oh, that looks too heavy. I'll pick that up for you. Okay? How strong are his muscles going to be? Yeah, they're not going to be there at all. And you're actually hurting him rather than helping him. You have to, you have to let him endure the struggle so that he can grow. And again, that's back to the parenting thing of letting them have their own consequences and that, that's painful and all those things. And again, when we get to the parenting, you do those lessons when they cost very little. Okay, so um, you want your kid to find out that going really, really fast on their skateboard and um, scraping their elbow, that's the place to learn caution rather than getting them behind a wheel of a car and doing that at 80 miles an hour because if they make that mistake, costs them more, right? So parenting is about learning those lessons early. Do not work harder than the other person. All right? Hmm. I want to honor your time. We're only going to get through five. I can't believe it. That means we're going to have to just really crank out next week. All right. Um, questions, thoughts, comments, ideas on the first five. Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? What? Oh, that's nice. I don't want to do the other five right now. All right. But we're going to scan them really fast so that you can see them and have a little um, precursor. Uh, number six, act within your own integrity. Number seven, stop making covert contracts. Number eight, build resiliency. Number nine, always make decisions based upon people's actions, not words. 93.7. So yeah, that one is true. And then treat yourself the way you would treat others. That's a little backwards, but we'll explain that a little bit more, okay? So that's where we're going next week. Now, for those who are interested, I actually built all of these rules into a nice little document so you didn't have to take notes at all tonight. You could have just sat back and relaxed, made it easy. Sorry, got you suckered in, huh? If you actually want to get that, you can download that from right there. Um, that's where it is available online. It's just an eight and a half by 11, so you know, one printer sheet will get to it, black and white, so you don't have to do color. Polymer.com slash refuge, um, PDF form, really easy peasy. Um, and then there's some other stuff that'll be on there as well on paulelmore.com. That's me, by the way. Yes? Is, the, is it case sensitive, or can you put in upper, lower? You know what? Um, try lower, just to be safe. I don't actually know. It's not case sensitive. So, But there we go. So you can download that sheet right there and hang that in your room somewhere if you want. 
The last couple things real quick. Um, again, if you want to download the podcast and some other stuff from last year, I got the Shameless series up there. I don't have Failure 101 up there right now, but I will be making that available. Um, but that's going to be on another place for you. Um, but that'll be there pretty quickly. So if you do a search for my name, Polymer, on iTunes, you'll find my podcast. You can subscribe and listen to a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, and then finally, I mentioned that codependency project I've been working on. Um, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> we can't take people places we haven't been ourselves. I recognize that I have lost many, many years to worrying and fretting about what other people think of me, taking care of other people, um, not being able to say no. I was the poster child for codependency. I know it well, okay? I can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anyone in here who wants to, you know, duke it out for codependent behaviors. <laughs> I'm not sure why I'm boasting, but I am, okay? <laughs> but I'm glad to say that I don't think I'm in that place anymore. I... I got tired of it, and I don't want to live that way anymore. I'm no, no, by no means am I got this totally figured out, but because it cost me so much, I kind of my own personal kind of working through this, I built this um, other project called codependencyquiz.com. You can jump on there. It's a 40-question quiz. You can find out how codependent you are. And then um, when you get to the end of the quiz, it'll have an answer sheet. And there's actually 40 quick little videos, um, one for each question, explaining kind of what the codependent answer is, what healthy looks like. You can kind of play around with all of that. Eventually, I'm going to, um, I'm currently working on kind of a, a kind of a self-guided program to help you experientially change some of these things. Again, I don't want to just give you information. We learned codependency experientially. Your mom and dad didn't sit you down and say, no, this is how you be codependent, okay? Step one is this. It just, that's not how it works. You learn it experientially. So to learn healthy, you have to learn healthy experientially as well. For me, it started with a little tiny spiral notebook I kept in my back pocket for several months, and I would catch myself in the very moment when I was believing some lie or worrying about something or trying to fix someone else, and I'd run into a corner, I'd jot this down real fast, and then here's the truth about it, and pretty soon I started to be able to script myself into healthy behaviors, okay? Exercises like that, there's gonna be 12 of them, and anyway, so that's not ready to go yet, but eventually that'll be up there. So that's kind of something that's been bouncing around if you wanted to take a look at some of that as well, all right? Ladies and gentlemen, it has been really nice to spend an evening with you. If you um, have more questions, you're welcome to talk to me afterwards, and we'll do this again next week. Does that sound okay? Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like more information, please visit paulelmore.com.